Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Marriage and Martinis. Today we have an episode that is actually really important to me. It's all about PPD, postpartum depression. And I was a sufferer of postpartum depression, for those of you who did not know. It started in my pregnancy, actually. I was sort of a unique case. Um, I had horrible OCD throughout my pregnancy, for those of you who haven't listened to the OCD episode. And that carried on into uh, my first child's probably first six months of being alive. So I had a really rough start to motherhood. So we talked today to Jen of Motherhood Understood, and we'll put links and stuff up, but she is kind of amazing, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you listen, when you listen to this, like she is getting stuff out there that unfortunately we didn't have. Yeah. And I wish we did because anybody who will go through this or is going through this right now, this is really good for you to listen to. Like, it's very pertinent information. Well, I think whether you've gone through it before and want to hear people who have had stories of the same type of thing or you're planning on getting pregnant or getting pregnant again, Mm -hmm. have a friend who went through it, if you're a husband or a spouse who uh, has a spouse who went through it, or even if you're just somebody who suffers from... I think mental illness and deal with motherhood or any, or Mm -hmm. any across the board. I think it's a great episode and I, I think it's a valuable thing to learn about whether or not it happened to you. Okay. And I think just getting the word out there is important. This was interview number two. Uh, we did better. Uh We we still struggled a little bit. The audio. (laughs) Danielle's barely heard in the interview, but... You might have to turn it up (laughs) when you want to hear me. It might be better that way, though. (laughs) But you're going to want to hear my uh, OCD stories, and you're going to want to hear my breastfeeding stuff towards, you know, especially towards the end and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um... Yeah. Yeah, so just just, just do it. But, you know, by the next interview, man... Yeah, we're going to get this shit straightened out. It's going to be off the charts with the audio. All right, so no chit-chat. Let's just get right into it. Yeah, because, you know, everything you'll hear, I feel you'll either identify with or you'll be like, wow, I did not know that. That's incredible. All right, do it. All right, do it, baby. Here we go. We're here today with Jen from Motherhood Understood. Uh, and which is a social media platform for moms who uh, have suffered from PPD, correct? Yes. Um, so suffered from PPD or postpartum anxiety, kind of any maternal mental health issue. Um, 
whether it's one of those or even something ongoing, you know, as your baby gets older, um, I still feel like I have mental issues (laughs) just from being a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So is this uh, is this a blog or is it, what exactly is it that you do, what you have and what you do? So it started out as a blog. So my story in a nutshell is basically five and a half years ago, I got pregnant. It was planned. You know, my husband and I decided to be where ready as we were ever going to be. And I was so excited to be a mom. I thought I was going to be, you know, like a, a Pinterest queen a breastfeeding champ, you know, domestic goddess, just love motherhood. And when I had my son, instead, I got postpartum depression. And I got it two days after being home from the hospital. It hit me really quickly. And so all those kind of fairy tale dreams, which we know aren't true at all anyway, kind of turned into me needing to go to therapy, me needing to take medication, me barely leaving the house for six months, and not liking my son for six months. And when I got better um, a year later, actually, so two years after I got better, I started a blog called The Medicated Mommy, really just so I could share my story about getting PPD and how I survived it because I felt like when I was suffering, there was nobody else suffering or I couldn't find any other information or any people going through what I was going through. Um, Even my friends who were really supportive and where moms didn't have postpartum depression. So I felt really alone. And then about a year ago, I wanted to go a little bit bigger than just the blog. And so I kind of moved the medicated mommy into this platform called Motherhood Understood, where um, it's, it's a blog in the sense that I write here and there, but really what we do is um, we feature a mom's postpartum depression story every Monday. And then it's kind of an Instagram platform. I feel like I live on Instagram and really it's posting memes and quotes that kind of unmask this other side of motherhood that nobody talks about. So moms feel comfortable to do the same and they feel less alone. And the other um, goal with motherhood understood is not to just get, you know, the mom community talking about, maternal mental health as a normal thing, but also to get parenting brands to start doing the same. So for example, you have never seen a Pampers commercial where a mom's going to her first therapy appointment, right? you know, or a Dove ad where the mom is picking up her prescription for antidepressants and also buying Dove baby products. So it's kind of a a two-pronged platform. Um, Right now it's kind of still in the beginning phases where it's really for that one in five mom who suffers from some type of maternal mental health issue. And I'm starting to push out so I can speak to larger communities because I think the best way to get rid of the maternal mental health stigma is to really get it be part of mainstream culture. Right. And it's not. Wait, can I ask, like, I I need, I have to ask a question. Of course. Can you explain postpartum depression? Like, I don't really fully understand what it is. And we just keep talking about it and PPD and, you know, but you know, I don't, I don't really fully understand it. So do you want to either sure. you or Mel or, yeah, because just guys sure. listening or women who don't even know, like, Absolutely. yeah. Right, of course. So, sure. All the time. Right. But right. who really knows what it is unless you go through it. So. Right. 
So, and I want to like preface, I'm not a medical professional. I'm just right. Someone who had postpartum depression. So oh, I speak from company because I think <laughs> in every episode we say, by the way, we are not. Yeah, you're right. Right. <laughs> you know I mean? Nor are we even knowledgeable in what we talk about. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. So this is just based off personal experience and talking to tons of moms, but Postpartum Which depression is the best is the best way to, you know, to learn about something is to learn from other people's experiences. Like, I think that's an awesome way to learn. Right, right, exactly. So postpartum depression, it's hard to define, which is why it makes it so such a difficult thing. But basically, one in five moms get postpartum depression, and it's an umbrella of a mental illness. And so postpartum depression is Basically, your brain gets hacked for some reason after you have a baby. A lot of times it happens at like the two to three month mark. Mine came early. I know moms ha who have gotten it at 14 months. Wow. And it's partly, I think, because your hormones are so out of whack. But basically, something happens and you are struck with a mental illness. It's a mental illness like any other depressive or anxiety disorder. It's just that it's called postpartum depression because it happens postpartum after moms have is there their babies. Between, um, is it usually people who suffer from it who have suffered from mental illness before or who have a history of depression? Or can it literally be anybody? So it can. It literally can be anybody. I always say it, it just, it doesn't discriminate. Like it doesn't give a fuck about how wealthy you are, how much support you have, your race, you know, anything like that. But there are risk factors, which I didn't know about, you know, before I had my son. But if you, if you are prone to depression or anxiety or you battle that in general, bipolar, anything, you are more at risk to get it um, just because you have that history. And also, if you have a baby and you had postpartum depression with that baby, you're at a 50% more likely chance to get it with your next baby. Oh, wow. It doesn't mean that you will. More than once? Yeah, I know, I know people who have had it with all four children. I know people who had it with one, children, with one child and not the other. Uh -huh. I know people who, who didn't have it with their first and had it with their second. That's why it's so confusing because it's one of those, it's not one size fits all. And I remember like when I was going through it, my therapist telling me what's so difficult about it is that it's confusing. It's confusing for the mom. It's confusing for her partner because you're probably not going to be like huddled up on the couch in fetal position, like with norm, you know, a normal depression where you're sad. A lot of times you're just really anxious mm -hmm. and you could be really irritable and mean. And um, so that's basically what it is. And then it's an, kind of an umbrella. So postpartum anxiety is a form of it where it's really, you're, you're really more consumed by anxiety than the depression side. And then there's that, kind of miss the misinformation like when I was pregnant I never thought I could get postpartum depression because I had a loving husband and a supportive family and even when I got it I was like well I don't have postpartum depression I don't want to hurt my baby you know there's that um that's called postpartum psychosis which is very real but all those um you know all the news stories you read and and see on the tv where the mom hurts herself or her baby yeah, that's a form of postpartum depression called postpartum psychosis, but it's actually the rarest kind. Mm -hmm. It just gets talked about the most. So people start to think that they're the same thing. Right. And then they don't so know that they have something. You said that you, you didn't 
fond or like your child for the first, what did you say? Six, six. Months? It was about six months. Yeah. So you didn't have, you didn't want, you didn't have the wanting to hurt him, but yet you didn't feel the connection to him. Right. I really wanted nothing to do with motherhood. I, I knew something was wrong because about two days in from being home from the hospital, I kept having these fantasies of how I could get hurt or sick and have to go back to the hospital because then I wouldn't have to take care of anyone. Wow. And, um, and there's a whole guilt that comes with that. Too, oh my, right. Oh my God. So you say, so on top of feeling like, well, wait, I was so excited to be a mom. And now I'm like, what did I just do to my life? I made a huge mistake. I have zero feeling for that baby in the other room. You're like, but wait, everybody I know and everybody I see on social media, whether I know them or not, are like cooing with their babies on the floor. They love motherhood. They're so good at it. So wait, what's wrong with me? And then that guilt, right? Like, well, why do I suck at this? But everybody, nobody else does. So did you tell your husband immediately or, or did he figure it out immediately? Or? So, yeah. So it's interesting. I always say I was very lucky. So my mom was staying with us and my mom is a therapist. She, it was like a second career. So she'd only been a therapist for a few years, but I promised myself that that night I would say something to her. And I was about to... And she said, hey, Jen, what's going on? My husband had already said something to her. Uh, yeah, he knew. So, right, he, he noticed, I guess, even before I did. And was he freaking out? Um, it's funny. My husband, Jason, I always say, like, he's like a man of few words. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because I like to talk a lot. <laughs> so he doesn't. But I don't really know. He never really showed that side to me. And so if he was, it was whether he was talking to his parents or his friend. I mean, I kind of look at him, he was kind of a rock as so did far he as over the responsibilities with the baby or I mean, did your like, did, did everyone just pitch in and help and you so everybody pitched in, we had a night nurse, um, and she was supposed to come three times a week for a month. Um, which baby nurses are not a big thing down here. I live in Charlotte in the south. Uh -huh. um, so she was a night nurse and we ended up our, you know, I would say people helped mostly financially. So we ended up having her for two months straight, um, which let me sleep. I, if I didn't sleep, I probably would have committed suicide. Right. Like I, the sleep, the sleep probably helped tremendously. So we were both sleeping. Um, we ended up hiring a part-time nanny during the day. So my husband could still go to work, but he would come home early. Um, I had a friend who would come over a lot and, and just take me for walks and help me in that sense. Um, so yeah, people pitched in, but a lot of it was definitely financially just so I could have extra support because it was really hard for me to be alone with the baby at first. And I never wanted to leave the house. Right. And were you open with people from the beginning? Were you like, you know, did you say, <clears throat> to your husband and your mom and everything, like, please don't tell anyone, or were you okay with everybody knowing? Because when I was going through, you know, I, I talk about, I had very debilitating OCD. Right. It was hard because um, if people were to come and visit me and see me, there was no way for them not to know it. So right. I just didn't want anybody around because, you know, it, it, to be around me, I was, I mean, you know, I seemed crazy. I seemed, you know, I, I, I couldn't, function normally. So I more said to my parents and my sister and everything, like, I don't want people around because I didn't want them to see that side of me. 
were you open about it or were you more like, I don't want visitors, I don't, I mean, did you close off the rest of the world or you were okay with people knowing? Yeah, I, I feel like my family knew, like my mom, I mean, I would wake up most mornings and, and walk in like my pajamas around the cul-de-sac in my neighborhood because the movement helped and I would cry on the phone to my mom. So I think that like certain family members, I was open with my mom, my sister, who has had stuff with depression before my aunt, my, like my grandma. But as far as um, friends and people coming over, my closest friends knew what was going on. And I think I either like spoke to them once or texted them once. Most of my close friends don't live in Charlotte. Um, and then You're I- New York originally. Correct? Right, exact, exactly. And so I wasn't actually I was not very open at all. I had the, I had this one friend, she's an older mom friend, Chantal, and she would come over almost every day. So she was kind of the only person that I let see me like that. And then what she would do is behind my I didn't know at first, but behind my back, she would keep everybody else kind of updated. Like and so she so I kind of I guess was open through her. But I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. And I think part of it was the guilt and the, the shame that like, well, this is happening to me. It didn't happen to any of you. And also, um, I was exhausted and tired and depressed. And I, didn't, I just didn't want to explain myself. I don't know if you felt like that also. Like, you know, for somebody to, you know, for you to tell somebody what having OCD is like, like, it's a lot to explain. Yeah, and for me, when I was going through it, uh, and, you know, my my situation, I think, is different, but when I was going through it, and I was pregnant when I was, uh, you know, when I was at the worst of it. Right. Like, my situation was anything that would come out of my mouth, um, I didn't, I was almost hallucinating. Like, I can't, you know, like you said, it's hard to explain. I can't even explain it, but I was so worried I was going to say something offensive or I was well you asked me many times yeah, did I just say yeah. something that would offend them or <laughs> yeah, did I yeah. hurt them in right. some way Absolutely. or yeah I, it's almost I say it's almost like hallucinating they're not and you know in your mind really what's going on but there's this other part of your mind that's telling you you did this or you said this so for me it was even the smallest details of I, I couldn't talk to anybody because I was afraid of what would come out of my mouth. I couldn't use the phone. I couldn't email anybody because I was, I would check them 50 times, you know? So it was, for me, it was every, from the second I woke up in the morning until the second I went to sleep at night, if I could sleep, you know, it was, right. you feel like it was every second of your day. It was, it was all consuming. And what was so, and like I say, I, I walked, I would walk each morning, but I was forced, like I was forced you know, my mom was like, get up. I don't care if you put your sneakers on with your pajamas. And then when Chantal would come over, she would make me, she would take me for a walk too. And then she would literally take me back home and put me in bed. So it was, it was all consuming from day to night, the crying, the anxiety. Um, once I started anti-anxiety medicine at first, because I didn't know it was happening at first and nobody would diagnose me. Like I went to my OB and she's like, well, I've seen this a lot before. I'm going to prescribe you clonopin, but we can't diagnose you with anything before two weeks. Before two weeks, it's just the baby blues. Isn't it amazing how many people, because that happened to me too. My, my OB sent me to a therapist uh, when I was, you know, when I was coming in and, 
you know, acting crazy and whatever. Right. And I need to go see somebody. And then I went to go see somebody and, and I was like trying to be like, what is wrong with me? And he was trying to like talk about my childhood and what had happened during my childhood. And I was like, no, 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 that, that's not what this is. Right. Something, you know what I mean? So it's just incredible. Like as much as they're supposed to be experts in this, I feel like there are so many people out there who won't take the leap and say, you know, yeah, you, you have, you know, they won't be definitive about it. Right. It's very true. And so the, it's funny because it was like I all consuming the anti-anxiety medicine, like so clonopin, which is a really strong medicine. It's like a Xanax, right? Right. It is. It is. And I thought it was stronger, you know, and so that's what she gave me. And I literally, I would take it and the thoughts would stop. Right. It, it's temporary, really. It, right. It was amazing. But after five days, the clonopin stopped working completely. Wow. And which sent me to my regular doctor who gave me Xanax, didn't work. And I found a therapist and she was not, she didn't, she said family therapy. It didn't, she didn't specialize in postpartum mood disorders, which is what all this is. And she wanted to just talk about how I could be a good mom. Right. And I was like, well, I don't even want to be a mom at all. So Basically, what happened was after that, I just happened to Google and I found a place in Charlotte called the Postpartum Center of the Carolinas. And I made an appointment with a therapist I didn't know. I had no idea about, but she specialized in postpartum depression. And that was like- You were able to be so proactive about it. Right. And my mom was very helpful. Like I probably, I don't know how I would have gotten through it without my mom because she helped with that. But- when I went and I sat in that therapist's office, it was like a light opened in the sky. Like it was going to be a long time before I felt better. But she sat there and she told me that I had postpartum depression, that what I had wasn't normal, but was common. And she had treated thousands of people like me. And then she gave me this sheet of paper with all these different risk factors that I had to check off. Like, did, you, did any of these happen to you before or leading up and during your pregnancy? And I checked off so many and she's like, see, this isn't your fault. This has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. It's an illness. And so between her and my regular doctor, they got me in quickly to a psychiatrist and it took a a couple, like I think it took two tries. And then we found the right anti-anxiety, antidepressant combination. And that's kind of what led me onto the path of recovery, but it was a process. Mm-hmm. And a process that probably could have been shorter if, like you said, OBs and all these doctors were educated about maternal mental illness the way they should be. Yeah. I mean, that was to me one thing that was really shocking was that my OB, number one, you know, wasn't able to say, you know, you, you know, obviously you're, you know, dealing with some kind of like mental illness, but also that he, when he sent me to a therapist, the therapist had no idea. So just. Right. Right. And for you too. And the fact that it was, it was even, it was during your pregnancy and bed during your pregnancy. And it's not talked about a lot, but pre, I think it's antenatal, antenatal depression or OCD. Like the, the illnesses can happen during pregnancy too. Like people don't talk about it a ton, but it's, it's, I, there's actually a, a lot of people who have depression during pregnancy, anxiety, OCD, yeah, well, and no one tells you, no one, right? Nobody tells you that that can happen. Right. Well, what happened to me, another, you know, uh, another point is that before I got pregnant, I said to my OB, I'm going to start trying. And he said, you need to go off your anti-anxiety medication. Okay. So that's really what 
threw me into a tailspin was that he just assumed that I should go off it because you shouldn't be on it when you're pregnant. I didn't do any more research about it, which I should have. And then once I was off the anti-anxiety medication, you know, then, then you have the hormones and everything. I just right. completely like was out of my mind. So, right. And right. And there are medications even in that you could even take in small doses too, that you can be on if you need to be on. Yeah, I mean, once I went back on, it was fine. And I was on with all three of my kids. And right. My, my third pregnancies were a world of difference to my first pregnancy. I mean, people were saying to me when I was pregnant with my daughter, when I had the OCD episode, they were like, I guess you're going to be a one and done because you're, no, you're never going to want to get pregnant again. You're never going to want to go through this again. Um, right. And for some reason, I was just, you know, I thought that the second and third would be different and they were. But... For me also, one thing that we have different, and this is where Adam can sort of interject, is that you said your husband was very supportive. Yes. Yeah. And mine was not. <laughs> Wasn't. <laughs> how, old, how old were you guys when you were pregnant or when you had your, after you had your baby? So I was 31 and Jason was 30. But why eight months apart. Matter? I'm just curious because we were 28. Uh, right? 27. 27. But I don't know why. I'm just curious as to, you know, we were, I, like a I mature, still, like a yeah, like I still consider thing. us to be like, we were young when we had our first child and we were still very immature um, as people, as knowing how to be a married couple at such a young age, having kids. And I never experienced anything like this before. I didn't know how to handle it. I was immature. And with all those things combined, I didn't know what to do. And I just... Yeah, he really did not know what to do. He couldn't figure out everything was just... And I think you tried to be gentle. You tried to be... For as best as I could yeah, be at that point in my life. <laughs> you tried to say nice things and, and you would answer my questions when I would ask them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You were patient, but I, I had to move out from living with him and move in with my parents because he just couldn't, he didn't know how to care for me. No, I was, I was consumed with building our lives, starting the family, you know, recently married, recently right. having a child, buying a house, like working, like I was trying to build our lives. Oh, and and then this came and I was like, and it's oh, like a bomb. Oh my bomb. God. I, I, yeah. It exploded. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. Cause like I said, I never handled anything like this before. There's none of this in my family. So I never experienced it. And I, I, I just like collapsed. I didn't know what to do. Like I was just so overwhelmed with life. And then this happened. Well, and I think that I, I mean, I get it. I think that, well, first of all, when me for at 31, which is over five years ago, when I felt like there was a lack of information, there's a lot more now, but you guys were even four years before that. So I think on top of that, no one ever talked, like you didn't know about any of this stuff. Nobody ever talked to you about it. So why would you expect that after you've built your life, you've got married, your house, all that stuff, you get pregnant, that something like this would happen? Definitely. Right. So that, right, that. So on top of never dealing with it, why would you even expect that it would? And then, right, also too, so, right, the mom, the woman is not, we're not prepped to deal with this, but, and the partner is also not either. Like, I think that, um, like, yes, I was lucky that Jason was supportive. And I think part of it was he was supportive because like everybody just who was here and around happened to be supportive. 
But I, I kind of think at 27, when there's this thing that's not talked about, um, whenever, like, it would have been nice if you were more supportive, but I don't think you could really fault yourself that much either, because how could you be prepared? And, yeah. and no, nobody talks about this stuff in terms of how the mom deals with it, but nobody talks about it for the partner either. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because it, yeah. it does affect the husband, right? You know, the husband, I know like we're the ones suffering and we're the ones with the symptoms and the guilt and things like that. But our husbands are also, they feel completely helpless. They well, are like, they yeah. didn't, they didn't expect sorry. it either. Oh no, go. They didn't, you didn't expect it. No, not at all. And I'm, I'm sorry to even use, you know, I don't want to offend either of you, but to, to an outsider, it's insane. Like, I don't know. I don't want to use that word. I don't want to like it, but it's crazy. It's insane. Like there's nothing realistic or logical about what's happening. So I like I shut down. So it it really to an outsider seems like you're crazy. And right, it is an illness. But that's that's the problem. The, correct, it is an illness like any other. And the fact that that, like Jen is saying, that people don't know about it or didn't know about it, that's the hardest part. Is because had somebody said to me when I was going off my medicine. Had there been, and I, and I was telling friends about it and, and family members about it, had somebody said to me, no, 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 you don't need to go off your medicine. I didn't go off my medicine. Or if people were, were willing to share their own stories, I would, it would have saved me this huge... Yeah, that's why what Jen is doing is so incredible, to let everybody know. Like if somebody, you know, if, if you're a mom and you break your leg and you're, you can't do anything, people understand. And they say, okay, right. I can step in and help. And because it's a physical ailment, everybody can see. You go to the doctor, leg. you go get the yeah. cast. Right. But, but when it's inside your own head and it's a mental thing, nobody can see it. So nobody can understand why you can't perform. Right. And how, how do I help? Because I don't know what's wrong well, with you. I think we should get to that. But also I was mortified. I was, I was a hundred percent sure that Adam was going to leave me. I was like, I, the fact that he stayed with me even through it, I, and I, and I thought he should leave me. I thought I wasn't. Well, I spoke to your dad. What? I spoke to your dad. <laughs> about what? Your, your dad called me and we had a conversation about while this was going on. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know if I ever told you that. You yeah. Me and your oh, dad wow. had a conversation. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, just. Have to tell me. <laughs> but I was just, and, and I blamed myself. He left me. I probably would have thought he was an asshole, but I also would have been like, well, of course he left me. Who wants to be with somebody who's has this issue? And here we were, like you said, supposed to have this perfect life. And we had just gotten married and we were building a house and all these great things. I remember him saying to me, we have all these great things going on. Why can't you just be happy? And, right. And he right. didn't get it. But I, to myself, I was, I was, horrible to myself because I felt like I wasn't deserving of his love. I wasn't deserving of 
of having a husband. I couldn't function. How could I expect for people to want to be around me and love me? Right. And so, and so on top of having the OCD, you just added a whole other layer of stuff to it, which is, and when, how great would it have been if your OB or whoever was like, just like took you two in a room for like 15 minutes or, and said, listen, guys, you know, you're, you know, you take medicine, you have anxiety anyway, you're at a higher risk for this right? Like, Adam, this could happen to your wife. And if it does, these are the signs. She's not crazy. This is what can be done. This is, but people don't do that. Like, I I always say, like, um, like, you remember you wait an hour in the waiting room, you know, for your gestational diabetes test to come back negative or positive. That's an hour where you're just sitting there probably scrolling on social media, doing whatever, it could be a nurse. Somebody could take you in a room and do a little consultation about maternal mental health. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. You know, but you know, in my head, like I think, like when you go to medical school, like it should be like a mandatory class that OBs, pediatricians, everybody has to take about this stuff. But right, you had no education and awareness. I will say though that I'm actually really glad that you moved in with your parents. Because I think that um, a lot of times women's partners aren't supportive and not because they're assholes, it, but because it's literally, right? It's like how could, they can't see an illness and it's like they think their wife is going crazy. And I think that when that happens a lot of times, because I've had a lot of moms reach out over social media saying, well, how did you get your husband to understand what you were going through? Like he doesn't believe in the therapy, he doesn't whatever. And you know, I can say, watch this documentary, read this book, you know, show him these facts, take him to a therapist appointment. But if he doesn't want to do any of those things, your mental health is still really important. You still have to figure it out and you're going to have to go around them. So for you, you ended up moving in with your parents. Yeah. Well, also today, like, thank God we have this, you know, we have social media, we have people like you who can let people know what they're going through is normal, not okay, but how to deal with it. We didn't have that. There was no right. social media when you were pregnant with Mia. Like there was MySpace. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's how old we are. Um, so we didn't, we didn't have, so you had nobody to go to. Like if you had your community of people that you do today, you would have been so much better. Not okay, but at least you would have been informed. Right. And you would have had more of an outlet probably. Like I think that partners need an outlet. Um, for whatever it is, you know, whether it's, I mean, a dad community or like, I'm sure now if you went online, like there are so many things for dads. I know um, Postpartum Support International, which is where like I send everybody for resources, they have a dad's hotline. So like once a week, there's a, like where, where husbands can call or dads can call in um, to get information and talk about this stuff. But I don't remember that being around back when we all had our, you know, our first children. No, I definitely, definitely didn't know anything about that. Right. How, is there a way to, if I were to get pregnant again? Oh my God. um, (laughs) He's like, please no. Then then you're moving back (laughs) to your parents' house. (laughs) Uh, Which I'm not getting pregnant again. If I was, I would want to find a doctor who I knew was really educated and not an alarmist and 
you know, not um, just a gentle patient doctor who would understand, you know, my concerns and everything, and who was very, very knowledgeable in maternity uh, and mental illness. And how is there a way to can you search for a special a certain doctor like that? Is there a way to know if there's or you do you just have to like ask around? I mean, is there some way to find a doctor? You know, it, for women who are out there who have suffered from mental illness and are thinking of getting pregnant or pregnant again, and want to have a doctor that is going to be knowledgeable in what could happen, how do you find that? So. I first, if you know any, you know, you just happen to know anybody who's been through something like that, I would ask, I would always ask, you know, someone I trusted for a recommendation. But if you don't, I think there are a few things. So if you completely don't know anything, I always first send people to the Postpartum Support International website because they have a thing on their website where they list resources by city in every state of therapists, of women's centers, and as far as OBs, I'm not 100% sure, but I would almost start with the therapist um, and start talking to a therapist first if, you're wor- if it's something you're worried about that, that deals with postpartum you know, and before you have the baby maternal and mental health issues because they will probably know about those type of doctors in your area And you can find those therapists on the postpartum support website. Also, too, what I have seen popping up in more places, like there's a really great one now in New York City called the Motherhood Center. I'm not, where where in New Jersey do you guys live? We're Central Jersey. Central. So, and I'm sure that- We're from New York City. Okay. So I'm sure that there are, but women's centers are popping up in more and more places where they have OB, psychiatrists, therapists- So it just takes a little bit of research, whether it's someone you know, or I always send people to Postpartum Support International. I think it's a great place to start. You just want to make sure that when you're looking for people, especially the therapists and the psychiatrists, that they specialize in postpartum mood disorders. That's the the difference. Right. Um, And then I don't... So there's a great model in... It's at UNC Chapel Hill at their... Um, I guess they have a center for postpartum mood disorders, but it's also an OB's office and their OB's office has a nurse who also has a degree in psychiatry and she can prescribe medicine. So when you go to your, when you go to the OB, if they think that something is off, they send you to nurse Chris immediately. Wow. So, right. I don't, I don't know how you necessarily find a practice like that i think i would start with the therapist and they will probably know where to send you okay yeah because to me that would have done so much so you said are there warning signs during your pregnancy that you are going to have postpartum are there certain things if you said there was a checklist um what are the what what can what what should spark in your mind uh oh no maybe i should go and talk to somebody maybe i'm heading in the direction of um, maybe I'm going to have postpartum depression. So it's really hard. So there are, there's a list of risk factors. And again, I still, I always point people to postpartum for international because they talk about them extensively. And there are like the overarching big ones, such as you are prone to depression and anxiety, right? You have battled it before in your life. You've just gone through a traumatic experience. Um, 
you know, maybe your financial situation isn't great, your partner, you know, your partner isn't great, you know, supportive wise to begin with, things like that. But then you have the flip side of the coin. I feel like people like us who, at least for me, like I was always a very type A, high functioning, organized person. Oh, I was too. right. I was a t- I was a teacher before I had Mason, and it turns out that people like that were actually very high risk. I'm but, kidding. I could not be the more opposite. From- are really okay? Yeah, she's type Z. She's type Z. Okay, yeah. okay. okay. Um, but so, but so, <laughs> so those high functioning, like really organized, you know, people are actually also at high risk. But like, if you tell somebody like that that they could have this, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? I rule, like I win at everything, you know, like I'm going to win at motherhood too. And so it's, it's hard. The other, you know, I found out too, like, at least for me in my situation, a long labor can be a risk factor. And I was in labor for 24 hours, pushed for two, and then had a C-section, you know, like my mom, right. Yeah. Same situation. Right. Like my mom will tell you to this day that she thinks that that is a huge cause of my PPD. Also, moving right before we have a baby like and we moved to our house three months before mason came and also having too many people around and i happened to be due the first night of passover are you guys like the same person i swear to god i'm like right yeah i mean and wait jenna i'm sorry i'm sure you said this (laughs) and i I must have missed it did you have another baby or no no i only have have one one. child i am the one i am the one inside okay (laughs) no because i was curious about comparing i i I must have missed that sorry no it's okay but yeah so i so my passover like is not like we're reform like it's like when do we eat but in my husband's side of the family it's a huge deal um like they have this like you know huge silver seder plate that was smuggled out of europe it's they do the after the meal they do the after the meal i'm always like i hate this like when do we eat (laughs) like i like you know and so literally everybody comes to charlotte for my due date and like they drive you know his his grandparents wouldn't take the seder plate on the plane because god forbid they so they drove down with my mother-in-law jason my husband's parents are divorced so my father-in-law lives down here like they koshered his kitchen for the for the <laughs> weekend, and like I'm in the garage, like eating bagels and mac and cheese, you know, because I'm also pregnant. <laughs> but literally, and and my family who are down here are talking to the baby in my stomach. We called him Rico because he was conceived in Puerto Rico, and we didn't want to tell anyone his name. So everyone's like, Rico, come during the seder because then we don't have to go back to the table, like, and we don't have to have a second seder. And he did, and so I went into labor in front of 30 Jewish family members you know and they were all here from from the labor like on and they stayed because of the bris so all of those that needs to be a scene in a movie i know i know right all of the all of these things were definitely factors and then the other big thing it's like the opposite of the clumps table right from uh (laughs) professor yes it's so true and i think the other big thing and this is just a cultural thing across the board for like america all of us is that you know, back in the day, you know, in the 1800s and the early 1900s, you had a baby, your family lived in the same house as you or down the street, or you had these support networks nearby. And now it's not like that. Like you move, you go places for jobs. Like, so a lot of times couples are in a place with no family support when they have a baby and it's not health, you know, we don't, no one takes care of the mother and that just leads to it anyway. Yeah. Which is a long way of saying, yes, there are risk factors, and yes, women need to be educated about them, 
it doesn't guarantee that you won't have it. Maybe it will help um, you get the right treatment faster, but you also are always going to have moms who are like, it's not going to happen to me. Absolutely. I was one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we were talking before about, about spouses supporting and everything. And we talked about the fact that Adam didn't, but even if you don't understand, you have to understand that it's real and you have to understand that it's not her fault. So right. what can a partner, a spouse do? What, even if, fine, you don't understand it, you don't, you know, you, you want it to be over, you're frustrated, you're angry, which I get all of those things, but that doesn't mean, you know, that you right. have to be supportive. Right. This is happening, even though it's not fair and it's not what you signed up yes. for. Right. I think a big thing too is A, to realize, well, this is not what she signed up for either. There are two resources that I tell a lot of people about. And the first is a documentary called When the Bow Breaks, um, which shows all different types of postpartum depression. It was produced by Brooke Shields, who wrote a book about, she was a postpartum depression. She actually had postpartum OCD. I think um, she's the first celebrity I ever saw come forward with. Yes. She was. That she, she was. She sort of was like the first one to step forward because before that, I feel like it was really not known about. And then I remember her coming out and doing all these interviews and stuff, and thinking to myself, "Wow, this is the first celebrity I've seen talk about this." Right, and, and so it, do, right, and so it was a big deal. But that documentary, like, really shows, really shows it to you. Like, you can see other families going through it. And then there is a, there's a woman, her name's Karen Kleiman. Um, actually, I think she's out of central or southern Jersey, and she's like the postpartum depression kind of guru therapist. And any book by her is great, but she has a book called The Postpartum Husband, which is written just for spouses. Wow. And, but at this, right. And so that's really great too. And also I think, so like my husband is a researcher, like he likes to go online and like, you know, like he's full of useless trivia. He watches the History Channel, you know, all of that. So I think he actually went online and did a ton of research for himself. And I think that now with so many more, even like mom bloggers talking about their, and celebrities talking about their stories, like go online and do some research. Um, and I brought my husband to a therapy appointment. Yeah, we did and that, that finally. Right. And that was really helpful because it gave him some more understanding. And my therapist also said like to him point blank, like, look, I know, you know, you want to go play golf on Sunday. You want to go do this. You need an outlet. I just need you for a little while to sit with her on the couch or to notice that you guys are at um, your family's house and she's not doing so well. Take her home. Like, I just need you for a little while to be in this with her. Um, and again, if none of that works because your spouse isn't going to buy in you, I think that you have to kind of figure out how to do what you did. You have to go around them because no matter what, you have to take care of it. Yeah. Which I hate to say, but it happens. And also, <clears throat> excuse me. And also for a friend, I, I think, you know, even if you're not, you said your friend came over every day, which is obviously incredible. And most, you know, most people probably can't do that, but if you, have a friend who you know is suffering through it or you suspect is suffering through it what is the best way to to help to you know go about being 
the best kind of assistance that you can. Yeah, I think, um, honestly, I think with whether it's postpartum depression or even if you don't have kids with any mental illness, I think the first thing is kind of like learning the don'ts, like what you don't want to do. You know, you don't want to tell them what they should be doing. Like you're an authority. You don't want to say things like, well, it could be worse. Like your baby could be in the NICU, right? Or, you know, um, why are you so sad? You have like, this is supposed to be the happiest time of your life or, you know, go get a manicure, pedicure, you'll feel better. All those types of things are huge don'ts. And I think learning that, I mean, and I've written articles about it. I have a guide about it. But in general, those things um, are don'ts. Like, that's not the right way. I think what basically what you need to do as a friend is it's okay to say to your friend, I really don't understand what you're going through, but I am 100% here for you to hold space. Like, just show some empathy and support. You know, so, and it's okay to say, tell me how I can support you. Well, that's a great point because I remember that obviously not as a friend, but as the husband, when not understanding what Danielle was going through, like, I was like, let's go to the mall. Let's get you maternity clothes. Like, let's go get stuff for the house. Let's go shopping. Let's go buy, like, go get a manicure. Let's, right. Go be with some worked. friends. Right. None of it worked. And it I maybe even almost made things worse. I was trying, cause I, like I said, I didn't know how to handle it. So I was trying in my own way that I thought I understood was let me shower you with this stuff. Like go do this and have fun and like, you know, go, it, but none of it worked. So right, because, you can't right. suggest what you think works for the person who's suffering because it, it, it doesn't work. Like it, right. It, and, it's, right. And it's a mental illness. So like a manicure and pedicure is not going to, solve a mental illness right. you know it might you know what you could do is have somebody come to the house and give them a manicure pedicure just because it might make them feel good in that moment but right um right so i th honestly think that there's nothing wrong with saying tell me how i can support you or and saying i don't know what you're going through i don't understand but i'm here and i think the other thing too is so like i said i had that friend that came over and for me, it was really helpful because I didn't have to talk to anybody else. She was like the point person. Like she just kept everybody else informed and updated. So like- So I, rather than you having to tell over and over and over again, it was like going- Right. Through. And then the other great thing too was that, you know, that there were, you know, a meal train was set up for me and meals were, were dropped off. Um, people checked in on Jason. I think checking in on the partner- and asking the partner like how they're doing can i do anything for you like do you need to talk about anything is helpful because they do again they need an outlet and i think too um even coming over and literally sitting on the couch next to them or like if they're lying in bed just sitting there you don't even have to talk to them or understanding and and uh respecting if they don't want you over. exactly that was the next and, thing i was going to say too yeah because i think for me I, I, I wanted so few people and I, and I think people got angry with me that they wanted to come and visit. And even, you know, right before I was about to give birth, people wanted to, you know, come over and I just, I didn't want anybody there. And I, I think they took offense to that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, exactly. I think that, that you know, right. was right. I think it's that understanding of that. So what was great too is like my friends, a lot of my friends would send me text messages like you know, randomly, like, hey, just letting you know we're thinking about you, love you. And they never expected me to text back, right. which was the greatest thing. And so they, right, like they respected that. And I lost friends when I had the PPD. Like, I remember this one friend, I was, and she was already a mom and I was close to, you know, she, she kind of wrote me off like, oh, Jen, just like, she doesn't like, she doesn't call me or text me back. She's not, you know, she told that to the friend who came over every day that they ran into each other in the mall. And my friend's like, you know, she like has a mental illness. Like it's not personal. So I do, right, exactly. Like respecting the fact that maybe you don't want to see people. Maybe you don't want to socialize. She's going through something. And just kind of being in the background, like as a cheerleader for you. I think all those things. I will be here when when you recover from this. And and you will recover from it. Right. And we are here. We are here if you decide you want us to come over. And then the other part, like so like those friends, like get on the computer and do some research about OCD, like look up postpartum depression, just educate yourself a little bit. So even though you, you can't physically understand what it's like to go through it, at least you kind of have learned a little bit about it. I remember my sister used to come over and she would, I literally, I was so not functioning that I couldn't, uh, make appointments. I couldn't call the doctor's office and schedule, you know, a a checkup. I couldn't do even the most minute things that had to get done. I had to set up, I had to look for uh, who who was going to be our pediatrician. Right. And look for all these things that I literally could not do. And so I remember my sister coming over and doing that stuff for me. And for me, that was even those basic things were a huge help. You know, go over and say, can I make some phone calls for you? Do you need me to go through your mail? Do you, what, you know, how can I help so that you have less responsibility and less stress? And that took so much off of me because I knew that that stuff just wasn't going to get done. So not only in the moment was it so terrible, I was worried about the ramifications of, well, now I'm not going to be prepared when I have this baby. Right. And I, right. Yeah, so that and, really was a big deal. And I think that's a good thing to do. You can go over and say, I am here. Do you need me to, you know, unload your dishwasher? Do you need me to, what, what, however, the less that they have to do and worry about, I think the, the better. Right. I think it's, I think that's such a good point too. Cause even whether it's before or after, right. Um, don't go over and just want to hold the baby. Like maybe, you cook a few meals, you empty the dishwasher, right? You help make appointments, Think right? Those things that like a normal functioning person could just do in their sleep, but you're not a normal functioning person at the moment. And I think too, the other thing I want to just say too, which is why this is always so confusing is that, you know, obviously people get depression, they get OCD, they get bipolar, all that stuff. And there are treatments, the thing, and I think sometimes too, whether it's friends or family or partners, the the ones that are associated with maternal mental health, you know, so postpartum or before baby, what we both had, they're for, I don't know why, but they're different. They're like a whole other beast, a whole other animal. And so a lot of times the way you show support and treatment are just different. It's, you know, it's, that's why 
when you went to see that doctor or therapist, they had no idea how to talk to you because it has to be somebody who actually specializes and knows this stuff. Right. So you need to know first that, that if you have a mental illness, maybe you're not going to just want the, re the regular run-of-the-mill OB. If you're prone to depression and stuff, maybe when you do the research, you want to research somebody who you know is going to be uh, supportive of you if you decide to stay on medicine or, you know, I think that it's, it's, we can't, we, don't, we can't just have a regular run of the mill doctor. Right. And I feel like, um, and it's so, like, I think like I say, like finding a therapist is sometimes like dating, <laughs> you know, like it's not always, it's not always the right fit. And I think with the OB too, it's okay to go and interview a bunch of doctors and then make a decision. You know, you don't have to just go where you go. Right. My sister and my sister-in-law and some other people had said to me, oh, this doctor is great. Well, he was great for them, but he wasn't great for me. So you can't just assume that because somebody else had a great experience, you have to think about your own needs. Right. And everybody's different. It's good for her, not for me. And that's okay. Well, they were great doctors. Like right. they, they were great at what they do. Not great emotionally for what you needed. There was no maternal or bedside manner like well, maybe that should be maybe now that needs to be i mean if you're an ob and you have women coming in who are suffering through pregnancy shouldn't it be that they I, I think it's probably changing because i think people are getting more aware of what's going on and it wasn't right before I say steer clear of that kind of doctor because that's not going to work for you you need somebody with a gentle bedside manner oh, and if that's what you need then yes that's what you should get and, and if all you care about is getting the best doctor yeah, physically I like I had, when I finally found the right OB I, I, I found her because she had said to me yes I just came back from a convention on women's mental health oh great and I was like boom that's your you're my right and sometimes your OB if it's a woman might have had postpartum depression or something like that herself you know so she might understand mm -hmm. I think too also you know of course, like we all listen to our doctors. Like I'm always like, okay, like tell me the pill that's going to fix this or, you know, but it's okay to, you know, you're your best, you're your own best advocate. You know yourself best. So it's okay to push back or say like, um, are you sure about this? Like, or no, you know, doctors don't know everything, even though we like want them to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have I, I have a question for you, Jen. And sure. you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Honestly, okay. I totally get it. I, I'm just curious because this is just so foreign to me. Like I'm really trying to understand. When you were at your worst, when when your baby was in the other room and at your worst point, what were you thinking? Like what what was in your head? Like, you know, to me it's I wanna be with the child. I wanna play. I wanna hold him. I wanna so how did how did you feel? Like what were you what were your thoughts? It's like um I feel like it's a broken record at least for me it's a combination of why did I have a baby I made the biggest mistake how can I not have a baby okay um, but but that's kind of I think normal like freaking out that you had a baby like because that's a yeah I think I think it was just um the intent like the intensity of it and then what with the thoughts like feeling like an elephant was literally sitting on my chest at all times, mm -hmm. this paralyzing, crippling anxiety and the tears of like not wanting to get out of bed. And then you also have the loop of what the fuck is wrong with me? Why don't I want to do all these things? I thought I was going to want to do all these things. Mm -hmm. um, like this poor baby, he's better off without me. Maybe I should just get in my car and drive away. 
Um, mm -hmm. There are these kind of just, I feel like they're, and for other moms, they're even worse. I mean, you have a mom with po postpartum, you know, I know a mom who had what's called postpartum OCD and she literally would put pots and pans from her bedroom to the baby's room and duct taped like X's over the door because she was worried she was going to get up in the middle of the night and go do something. I had that. Right, to the baby. So when you have OCD, you, you're not, you're not going to act on the thoughts. Like you rationally kind of know that you're not going to, but you have those crazy thoughts. And so I didn't have that, but yeah, it was just um, this like drowning in a hole. Like, and also too, I just, you're also like, you also think too, it's the worst thing ever. Like I felt like I was going to be like that forever. Hence the, maybe I should just drive away and never come back. Maybe I should just go to the hospital. Um, it's just whatever the opposite of like mm -hmm. wanting to be in that room, I think is, and, and they go on loops, which is why, you know, you're like not overdosing, but like taking the maximum you can take of anti-anxiety medicines because they make those thoughts calm and then you don't feel anything. Like the clonopin was so great at first because it would make all of that stop. I would close, I would close my eyes and go to sleep and I wouldn't think anything. Right. I, I, I wanted to add the story you were saying about the pots and pans. I didn't do that, but I remember when our oldest was a, a newborn, I used to, and I wasn't breastfeeding. That was another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is that I chose, I made a very conscious decision not to breastfeed because I just felt for, like for me, it was going to be so much worse if I had to get up, you know, every couple mm -hmm. hours and I couldn't get my sleep. And so I, even though I got a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, flack for it, I just couldn't, I knew I couldn't, but I remember taping shut the doors to the cabinet under the sink, because I was so worried that I was going to pour Clorox or something into the bottle. Right. You have those, like you visualize that. yourself doing that. Yeah. It's so, and it does. It literally sounds insane when you tell somebody that, but it's so, it, it's, it happens to so many moms. I know another mom who made her husband take all the knives out of the kitchen and hide all the knives. And there, I know another mom and she wrote, the, honest, she wrote this book. It's probably the best book I've read about a mom having PPD. It's called Bonkers. <laughs> so she had PPD and psychosis. And so she literally would see this little black demon it would follow her around. It would sit on her couch. It would, and it sounds so insane, but it's like a legit mental illness and it happens. Mm -hmm. And the, I'm glad that you brought up the breastfeeding. I was the same as you. I thought that I was gonna like breastfeed and be this like breastfeeding rock star. And I think Mason breastfed like right when I had him like in the hospital. And I was like, this is so easy. Like he latched, he ate for like 40 minutes. And then it was never like that again. And so I started pumping and I was like, I can't do this. But I felt really guilty stopping. Um, like I thought I had to keep trying. And I remember we were at the Briss and um, a couple of my mother-in-law's friends came down. And so like this like little coalition of like Jewish 60 year old grandmas pulled me aside and were like, Jen, fuck breastfeeding. <laughs> Yeah. They were like, you need to stop breastfeeding. Our kids weren't breastfed. They're not breastfeeding their kids. And so the next day I had an appointment at the lactation consultant and I went in there and I said, I'm stopping. Tell me how to stop. And I did. So I was like you, I ended up not breastfeeding and it let me sleep during the night. 
Yeah, and I, I think that another thing you can you should always think of, even if you're the biggest breastfeeding advocate in the world, and breastfeeding is wonderful if it works for you, fabulous. But I think people don't go around saying, oh, you're gonna breastfeed, right? Or you should breastfeed. A hundred percent. Don't say that because it's who I was already dealing with the guilt of I would have liked to have breastfed. I knew it wouldn't have been good for me. So I already felt guilty about missing out on that experience and all the research that says, you know, I mean, whether it is or it isn't better for your kids or what whatever, I was already dealing with the guilt that every time someone would say to me, Oh, you're not breastfeeding? Right. It was like another dagger, you know. Another thing. No, I agree. It's so true. And I think that, well, also too, I would not have been able to breastfeed and take the antidepressants that I took. And and also I know like, for example, I think like Zoloft is one that I think you can, and I'm not a medical professional, that you can breastfeed and and take, but that wouldn't have, that medicine, a lot of people in my family who've taken it, it didn't work for. So the odds of it working for me were so slim. So right, I made a conscious decision to take care of my mental health instead of give my son breast milk. I gave him formula. Like I always say, like, I think I wrote an article, like formula is my second favorite F word. Um, and it's okay. <laughs> like it's okay. And you gave him formula and you gave him the healthiest mom that you possibly right. could. And I, like, doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, mean, I, I, I literally made, I remember sitting down <clears throat> and being like, I need to make a decision between breastfeeding and being the best mom I can be because I don't think that those things are going to go together. Because right. And somebody who says to you, oh, you're not breastfeeding, they don't get that. Right. So let's right. not Too that. bad you can't be like, oh, you're not formula feeding and sleeping. Right. <laughs> right? I don't know. You know, I, right, I do. I think, I think it's great. I think if you love breastfeeding and it works for you, that's wonderful. If sure. it is making you crazy and it's, it's taking a toll on your mental health or there's something that you have to take care of in relation to your mental health, then stop. There's nothing wrong. And if you're worried about formula not being clean or whatever, I mean, since we have all of, since we've had our kids, there's so many like natural, organic, whatever brands. Like I used Enfamil, you know. Um, but there is a million right ways to feed your kid. Like I even say, like when people, you know, say like, "Oh, you're not having any more kids." Like, well, like doesn't your kid need a sibling? And I'm like, honestly. I chose to give him a help, a happy, healthy mother instead of a sibling, and that just works for our family. And and there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, if some, if anybody ever says, "Oh, you're not breastfeeding," no, and I'm a fucking awesome mom. Right. You know, right? I'm not right. And but, right, and like, I feel right. It's true. I feel like right, and and also too, like on top of like stopping for mental health reasons, I also hated it. And I think you can say things like, "I hated breastfeeding. I hated this." And you're still a good mom. You still love your kid. Like it can be both. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. I used to look at people who were like, they were loving every second of pregnancy. And I used to be like, ugh, like how? (laughs) Right, right. I think it's- Why do you love giving up sushi and wine for nine months? Right. Yeah. I uh, totally agree. Yeah, it's- um, Yeah, but you're so worried about what what they're feeding on with their babies. And then when they're off of the formula, it's like, okay, here's your fucking egos and your, you know- Your Gatorade and your, you know, like my microwave is my best friend most of the time. So yeah, so come on. (laughs) Right, we are we are regular customers at Chick Fil A. You know, I mean, like let's right, like let's be honest. So I do. I think that there's, you know, all of that is um, 
Yeah, it's everything in moderation. But listen, I, like I think the breastfeeding thing is if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. The end. Yeah, I think it goes along with the mental health stuff and like taking medication. There just needs to be better education about it. Give proper education about formula, about breastfeeding. Don't make it like breast milk is like, you know, the best medicine for kids. So I remember at Mason's Briss, um, the Moyle, who actually happens to be our pediatrician now. So she's also a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, a Moyle. So the person who does the circumcision of your baby boy eight days after he's born at a party. Um, <laughs> well, why not whoever, have a party, right? right, right. Whoever oh, decided to like have a party eight days after, it was not a mom who invented the breast. <laughs> um, but she apparently, and I was warned, was like the breastfeeding Nazi, she was called. Like she was all about breast milk. And so I remember sitting in the room, she was giving him lidocaine and all that stuff. And she was talking about breastfeeding. So if you breastfeed after the breast, he'll, he'll heal faster, breastfeeding, breastfeeding. And my husband, who really is a man of few words, goes, she's not doing it. <laughs> like, right, just like for him. Good. And that, right, and like that was that. And it was, um, yeah, you just, you need proper information and awareness about both. So like you have all the options and you can just like make the best decision for yourself. And nobody can make the decision for you. Nobody knows you. I remember Thank someone you. saying to me who was breastfeeding and who was, you know, very uh, a big advocate for breastfeeding saying to me, oh, what does Adam think that you're not breastfeeding? And I remember <laughs> being like, when he fucking has a baby, he can tell me what he's doing. Right. Oh my God. Thank you. I, I know moms who are like, well, I was going to stop, but my husband wanted me to keep going I mean, for a little bit. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Is it like, do they have a uterus? Yes. Like today, you know, I he get to decide whether or not I am breastfeeding. Your husband really? doesn't. Why are you yelling at me? I didn't say it. No, no, it's just right. Your husband doesn't want you to take medication because he wants you to breastfeed. I was for you not breastfeeding. What are you yelling at me? You just punched me in the face too. It is. I mean, it's like it's like anything else with motherhood. There's so much shame. I mean, I know a mom, you know, in the hospital. We have I don't like we have our hospitals down here, they weren't when I mason are called baby friendly which means that they promote breastfeeding like over anything. Um, and like, I, I know a mom who was in the hospital and she had put like, this is like TMI, but like coconut oil, like on her nipples because you know, they were chafed from breastfeeding. And then she was asking and she had already given the baby a little bit, or she was asking about formula or something. And the lactation consultant said to her, well, why do you care about formula? You already messed up his gut with the coke by giving him coconut oil. Like, <laughs> like way to set a mom up to be like okay right. i suck before she even leaves the hospital like it's yeah by the way there's there's no such thing as tmi on marriage or martinis <laughs> no i know i i, I mean i feel like right i there's for me too, for me too but yeah it's just right it's there, everything there's shame around all of it and it just it to, matters what comes out of your mouth i guess is yes, what, what it boils especially down to, before, is that and, it and, does matter what you say and a lot of times we assume even now i don't even ask people you know are you trying for you know are you trying for a baby or don't you do you want kids or because you don't know yeah maybe they want kids desperately and they can't is everything you never whole, you never you know never what's know. going on well it's, i have i have a great idea mind your own fucking business how about so, that it's so true, and I think like you like, know, it's so we, easy for us. Nobody to cares, judge. right? I know. It's like get a hobby. Maya. We had well, a thing in my family called Maya. Mind your own business. So if if, if someone's not minding their own business, yeah, like I don't like Maya. I don't. If I want your opinion, I'll ask. Right. Otherwise, and I mean, it's, yeah, give it to your fucking self. Right. No, it's so true. Like I don't even family members. It's like I don't remember asking you for your opinion about this. 
Like this is my kid. Advice is my favorite. It's, oh, I know, <laughs> me too. I, well, I, even I, but even like, and look, we all like have those times where we're like, even in our heads, like a little judgy. And like, even I remember, like last night, I w- went to um, my friend's daughter is like a piano prodigy at Juilliard, and she's home for Thanksgiving, so she did a little concert last night at one of the temples. And I went, and there were friends in there, and definitely people who had like never been in a temple before. You know, we're in Charlotte, um, like friends. You know, all religions and one of the boys was wearing like sweat shorts and a sweatshirt and I'm like thinking to myself at first I'm like how could he be wearing that to temple like in temple and then I'm like Jen like shut up like he could have he could have sensory processing and not be able to wear pants like he could have been like he could have just fought with his mom for an hour before and she's like fine just wear the clothes like you don't know right you know like you don't know and I stopped my and I stopped myself and I am not perfect like I you know we can all be judgy assholes Right. But I, I'm trying. I know we're all trying. I guess that's that's it. And I think that the more we share our stories, the easier it is for us all to not be judgy assholes because we all have a story, you know. Right. Right. So, um, but thank you so. I mean, this has been incredible. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. And I'd love to have you back to. Yeah, I would love to. This was great. I. So, I love talking to you guys. So tell us first of all how people can find you. Um, you know, and uh, what's the best way to um, follow Motherhood Understood? Where, what, what platforms, and anything else you think that they need to know? Okay, great. So my website is motherhood-understood.com. And we'll I it from marriage and martinis too, in case you're in the car right now and you can't write it down or anything. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. I'll send you, I'll send you all the links too. And my, I am primarily on Instagram and it's at motherhood understood, no dash, just motherhood understood. Um, Facebook is facebook.com slash motherhood understood. Um, and if you are a mom who has or had postpartum depression and you want to share your story, um, there is a place on my website where you can just submit it really easily. So I take all kinds of stories and um, I love for you to join our community on Instagram. We're I think 15,000 and growing strong. So well, there's I a lot of you and I Thank love you. all your, I, I feel like, you know, I get that daily dose of, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I like to joke like you're thinking it and I'm saying it, yes. but it's like one of those, like, Oh, you'll feel so much better. And I also will give you a link to, I send out, I do not believe in like tons of emails. I send out an email once a week on Fridays and it's called don't judge me, but, and it's a little short, sweet email, like don't judge me, but like, this is what I did this week. And it's kind of just like that, like, oh, wow, I don't really suck at motherhood, <laughs> you know, because this, this mom's doing this thing too. And we need that. We, you know, we, I think we all need that. So, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. That was thank awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I and I think it's so cool what you're doing, by the way, yeah, just throwing you. that out there. Because if we had somebody like you, it, things would may have been a little bit easier. Yeah, thank you. I think, yeah. I think right, I, that's why I created it, because I didn't have somebody like this. I, you know, I... So thank you. I really appreciate that. And it was really fun talking to you guys. Yeah. yeah. You too. All right. Well, I guess enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs> you too. I'm like in pajamas because you can't see me. So I'm oh, going to go like. I am too. Adam right went to- running. Adam, I, Adam went running. I took the kids. I was dropping them off somewhere and I passed by him running and I'm like, I fucking hate him. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm going to go while my husband and kid are not here, like go take a shower and try to look human again. <laughs> Well, we're going to come over and hang out and check out <laughs> Anytime, if you, North Carolina. If you ever come visit, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. So fun. Okay, bye. 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 bye.